0: he would loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So we look to headquarters for the, the word that we need for our orders, and we certainly are concerned about the bottom line as far as heaven is concerned. One of the earliest spiritual mathematicians and accountants was surely Ecclesiastes, I would call upon you, if you have your Bible, to read with me from the 7th chapter of Ecclesiastes verses 25 to 29, which suggests the theme for our lesson tonight. The preacher says, I turned my mind to know and to search out, and to seek wisdom and the sum of things, and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness which is madness. And I found more bitter than death a woman whose heart is snares and nets, and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find the sum, which my mind has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I' found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Behold, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many desi- uh, devices. And that leads us right into our first proposition we'd like to make as we are adding things up as we are trying to determine the sum, and that is that all humanity adds up to sinfulness. God made man upright, but they have sought out many devices. It reminds us of what Solomon observed as he was dedicating the temple, and as he was envisioning people praying for forgiveness from wherever they were toward that temple, where God's glory, where God's name would reside. There is no man who does not sin. 1 Kings 8:46. Second Chronicles 6, 36. In Romans, the third chapter, we have Paul's great statement about the sinfulness of man, which leads us to understand why the gospel, which is the power of God and salvation, was absolutely necessary, no matter who we are, Jew or Greek or otherwise. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have gone wrong, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Sounds a lot like our society in many respects. So all humanity adds up to sinfulness. Next, we notice from the Bible that all divine revelation adds up to truth. In the 119th Psalm, in verse 60, the psalmist declared, The sum of thy word is. His truth In the 139th Psalm, and in verse 17, the psalmist said, How precious also unto me, O God, are thy thoughts! How great the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would be more than the sand in number. And when I awake, I am still with thee. In the New Testament, Jesus was about to depart from his disciples. He said in John 16 and verse 13, But he, the Spirit of truth, when he has come, he will guide you into all the truth. And what he shall hear, that is what he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. And in John 17, as Jesus was praying his great intercessory prayer he begged for his father to sanctify these disciples with the truth and he said thy word is truth and we might add that great living revelation jesus himself the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory even as of the only begotten of the fathers full of grace and truth he said i and the way, the truth, and the life. So this is the revelation, the divine revelation, and it all adds up to truth. Next, we notice that all that Jesus requires adds up to salvation. Even the youngest elementary student knows that two and two equals four. And Two and zero do not equal four. And yet some religious folks and teachers would have us to think otherwise. Whereas the Bible tells us that belief plus baptism equals salvation. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that disbelieveth shall be condemned. Also, repentance on the part of believers plus baptism in the name of Jesus Christ equals remission of sins. That's how the scripture says it adds up in Acts 2 and verse 38. When Peter ordered people to be baptized, he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ or by the authority of Jesus Christ. So we know that all that he requires adds up salvation. Next, all of the saved add up to the church. When, When Peter preached on that Pentecost day, before all those thousands that were gathered for the feast, when he came to the conclusion of his discourse, he announced, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. And they said, being cut to the heart, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter answered and said unto them, Repent ye, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to them that are far off, even as many, as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And that same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Down in verse 47, we have a continuation of this Process that Peter describes or Luke describes that Peter uh, set in motion when it said that the ones who had been baptized were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily such as were being saved. So we know that we can do the math and we can see from these statements of God's word. That the church of Christ is nothing less than all Christians, all of Christ's people. We could say this another way from Acts 20 and verse 28. The Bible tells us that Paul exhorted the elders from Ephesus who met him at Miletus, saying, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So that adds up to this. Everyone who has been purchased is in the church of God. In Ephesians 5, verses 20 to 27, we have this wonderful statement about the church. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. When the Bible tells us that he is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior, we need to understand this. We need to realize that what is being said is that everyone of whom Christ is Savior is in his body. There is no one who has been saved by Christ who is outside his body. It seems we ought to avoid thinking as I think some have thought about this statement. It seems some conceive of the church as though it were some box. some structure And and Jesus went and purchased this box or this structure and then as people are saved they are thrown into that box this is the idea that seems to come across when people say well unless you are a member of the church of Christ you cannot be saved or in order to be saved you must first become a member of the church of Christ I hope that None of us will ever put it like that, because that is certainly not what is portrayed in the New Testament. We find that by the process of being saved by Christ, one becomes a member of his body. This is further reinforced by 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit were we all baptized into one body. And we're all made to to drink of one spirit, whether Jew or Greek, bond or free, all made to drink of that one spirit. You can see the body being the church. We're baptized into the body. and Baptism is for the remission of sins to the penitent believer in Christ. So it all adds up, doesn't it? Can you see how it all adds up? So that's the Church of Christ, nothing less than all Christians, all of Christ's people. Then on the local level, we can conceive that a Church of Christ, which is a way of describing uh, a congregation such as we have here, and thousands and thousands across the globe, a Church of Christ then would be nothing more than all Christians, all of Christ's people in a given locality who may assemble for worship, physically possible for them to assemble for worship. There is nothing in between these two. There is nothing other than these, as far as the New Testament is concerned. This math enables us, I'm convinced, to distinguish between denominations and the church of Christ. If you were to ask. Are all saved people. In this locality. Members of this church. The answer comes back. Yes. Then it is a church of Christ. If no. Then it is a denominational church. Ask the question. Are all saved people in the world. Members of this church. If yes. Yes then what you have is the Church of Christ. But if the answer is no, then it is a denomination. Next, all morality adds up to Christian love. In Romans 13, verses 9 and 10, Paul makes this statement. Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And he says about the same thing in Galatians 5.14 whole law is fulfilled in this one word thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself in james 2 and verse 8 isn't it interesting that he says if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well you notice that last part you want to do well You want your life to be approved by heaven? You want God to say, Here is someone who has lived according to my will. And fulfill that commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. You will do well to do so. This reminds us, of course, of Jesus. When he was asked by a certain lawyer, What is the first and great commandment of the law? Jesus said, the first and great commandment of the law is this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. And the second is likened to it, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The whole law is comprehended in these words or the whole law, the law and the prophets depends upon this commandment. So we see that it's all added up and it comes down to Christian love. Christian love involving love for God and also love for our neighbors. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. That's Paul's description of what we're talking about from the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Next, observe that all morality... For all things that Jesus commanded, the apostles, adds up to discipleship. For he ascended to sit at the right hand of the majesty on high. Our Lord said, having come to his apostles, All power is given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All things. All things. Let that sink in. That means everything that Jesus taught, those apostles, they were to teach Others, to observe after they had been baptized. And that means that anything more than that, or less than that, is not sufficient. It's that, no more, no less. All things. Anything other just doesn't add up. Well, we ought to also observe that that includes what the apostles wrote. We know this from 1 Corinthians 14, 37. The Apostle Paul said, If any among you considers himself to be a prophet or spiritual, then let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandment of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord. When we read the letters, the epistles of Paul or other inspired men or other apostles, it's just as much the word of Jesus as, it, as those red letters, if you have a red letter Bible. The uh, actual words of Jesus that he spoke, the words of the apostles under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are just as much the word of Jesus as those words that came out of his mouth. And those words when you put it all together, when you add it all up. Here's what Peter said is the sum. He said, according as his divine power hath given unto us, referring to Peter and the other apostles and other inspired men, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness according to the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and virtue. Does that not remind us of John 16:13? Jesus promised Peter and the rest, he, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will guide you into all the truth. We're not surprised that His divine power made good on that promise and revealed to Peter and the other inspired men all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called them to his own glory and virtue. Well, a good place to end then, in view of all that we've seen thus far, and especially the last thing we observed, is that all things add up to Christ. I just yesterday completed a reading of William Baxter's biography of Elder Walter Scott. I certainly can recommend that. I certainly can recommend anything that you might could read that would give you more light on the life of Elder Walter Scott because he was among all of the restoration pioneers. He was one who really put a lot of emphasis upon Christ and saw Christ and the truth about Christ as being the, the star that we ought to look to, to follow, to cast our gaze upon and focus upon. He wrote one of his great works, is it's is called The Great Demonstration. And what he, what this is all about is the proofs in the Gospels that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's what he emphasized with all the fervor in his being. But that was not something he came up with, because as we're about to see, the New Testament does exactly this. When you look at the New Testament, it all adds up to Christ. You could include the Old Testament. When you look at it through the eyeglasses were provided in the New Testament, it all adds up to Christ. All things add up to Christ. I would suggest that all things begin and end with Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 6, we're told, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And here it is and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 10, we're told that the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens. Why? That he might fill all things. Jesus is said to fill all things. In Colossians, the first chapter, beginning with verse 15, and as we read, please listen for how many times the word all appears. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God is, was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, he is described as one who had been appointed heir of all things. Next, I would observe that he ends up with all things. We could look at that previous statement, Hebrews 1.3, Heir of all things. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus said, The Father has given all things to the Son. and No one knows the, uh, the Father except the Son and the ones to whom the Son would reveal Him. John 3.35, All things, the Father has given into the hands of the Son. In chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, knowing that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, he took his clothes off and put a towel around him and washed the disciples' feet. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, We're told that when God raised Jesus from the dead, he made him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Do you understand what that means? Gave him to be head over all things to the church. I've worked with this, trying to understand it, and the best I can do is is to understand that what is being said is that God gave Christ to the church. And who is Christ? He's none other than the head of all things. If you look at the original language, you can see that the object of that verb, gave, or the indirect object, would be to the church, Christ being the direct object. And then it describes who he is who was this great gift to the church, and that is the head of all things. Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we look for a Savior, Jesus Christ, who shall transform our lowly bodies into a body like unto his glorious body. And how will he do that? By the power whereby he submits all things or subjects all things to himself. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority is given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. So he does end up with all things. It's worth giving up anything. In fact, worth giving up all things to have him, and with him we get all things. Paul said that he had counted all things lost. And gladly that he might gain Christ. Philippians 3 and verse 8. and Romans 8 verse 32. He who spared not his son but gave him up for us all. Will he not with him give us all things? Oh, we cannot afford for one second to be without Christ. We cannot afford to neglect to be in relationship with him in view of how things add up. We should all see that apart from the figures found in God's word and without Christ in the equation, things just don't add up. What is your bottom line this evening as far as heaven's calculations are concerned? Thank you so much for listening and may God bless you.